Welcome to Embracing the Journey, a program focused on the freedom that comes from being able to talk about death. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank. Today we are talking with Rosie Mariani and Amanda Kenny. Rosie has been an elder care giver for 12 years and has been one of the go-to caregivers for end-of-life caregiving calls. She has been a regular ambassador for end-of-life discussions, as well as a caregiver with Sacred Bridges. Amanda Kenny has spent over 20 years working in convalescent and care homes. Along with Full Circle of Living and Dying, she has a collective of women, Sacred Bridges End-of-Life Care, that serves families with end-of-life bedside care. Welcome, Rosie and Amanda. Hi. Hi, Lori. It's Thanks good to have us. you both here. And I'm going to ask you both um, if you both have experience with end-of-life care, and is there something in your personal life that drew you to this type of work? And let's start with you, Rosie, if that's okay, and then we'll know your voice. Sure. Thank you, Lori. Um, I I think anybody who has, who's drawn to this work has has that special person or moment that has drawn them there. Um, my dad died when I was fairly young. I was um, I wasn't thirty yet, and he had um, polycystic kidney disease. Um, and I was with him through the end, although he was in a hospital. And um, at that time, I was so young, and it it he was my beloved daddy. You know, he, he was daddy. He wasn't my father. He was daddy. And it was just a traumatic thing for me. He, you know, he, it was painful and um, difficult for him and for me. And I always thought, you know, there's got this, you know, there's got to be a better way, a better way to die. Um, although, you know, the next day he told me it was okay. So it was this kind of back and forth in that on one hand I felt like you know his his pain could have been addressed better his um you know his his support could have been better all, all of these things that could have been better and yet it was okay it 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 was what it was and he came to tell me it was okay so I, I think that really was the push and pull that that has always brought me in um, thank you Rosie and Amanda what about you, a personal experience that drew you into this work? Well, the beauty of this, it's so interesting, is that, you know, I had a very traumatic experience with my mother's death and her dying. And it always, I mean, from the moment, you know, that she took her, her last breath, it was like this thing. It was like, there's gotta be something more. I, she doesn't need to just be whisked away. It always just felt, it felt so rushed and it felt like I didn't have time to grieve, but, but I had no idea that we could take a pause and um, we could just stop and, you know, settle in. And uh, so really that was like the moment that I was um, really wanted to do um, the work as far as helping families plan. And um, the bedside caregiving really began um, just, I think with my grandmother, she lived to be 101 and I was there when she died and, and it was a very peaceful death. And um, I just have always had a great love for our elders. Like I love to listen to the stories. Mm -hmm. I just, there's just always been something there. So those are a few of the reasons mm -hmm. why. 
I am where I am here today. Well, to do this sacred and valuable work that you do is, is being with people as they are actually dying. Do you have special training to do this? And let's go with Rosie again first and then you, Amanda. Um, you know, I think life gives you training. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the beginning training I had. Um, but there's also, um, I worked for an agency for six or seven years and they always had different trainings. Um, I've gone through a couple hospice trainings, um, and then, um, I did, uh, the death walker training, which I'm not sure everybody will know, but it's, it's through, um, it's, it's a lady named Z Zenith Barago who did trainings on death walking, which is basically accompanying people at the end of their life. Um, I think that's it. I think off the top of my head. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And Amanda, what about you? Well, um, I, you know, I was a CNA for uh, many, many years. And then when I wanted, um, you know, to start looking in more into this um, closely being with people end of life, I did a training in Maui that is called Doorway Into Light. Um, and that was a really amazing training. And my first training, though, was with Jerry Grace Lyons um with final passages and that was um a three-day training and they you know the part about actually being bed a bedside caregiver you know requires a different level of experience to be able to help someone like mm -hmm. we do physically um but as far as the doula work and being someone's um support and and um connection in with the family to help um, move through any things that that come up uh, at end of life is um, has been really helpful with like the death walker training that we did together. And I wanted to mention inspired endings does a really awesome in depth uh, end of life doula training. And let's just define uh, death doula because I know some people probably have never heard that term. I'm going to pass that one to Amanda. Well, a death doula is kind of, you know, the best way to probably understand it is to think about the doula with birthing, you know, that, that per, the person that is just a support in any way that you might need support. Um, you know, uh, end of life doulas um, work with families to move, you know, like I spoke a little bit earlier about just moving through any dynamics, any, um, things that need to get resolved, uh, legacy work, um, you know, recording of stories, um, just really being that person that the dying can speak to differently than they will their family. I know I've had so many families say, well, I never knew that, or they never told that. And it's just this gorgeous place where uh, when we, have someone get on streets of hospice or with full circle that we have enough time to develop a, um, some depth in the relationship and some trust. Well, we're talking about the very end of life today. And so for those who care about someone who's, who are in the final stages of life, how can they tell um, how close their loved one is to death? Are there stages? I've heard the terms transitional phase, active dying. How do you know is it, if it's gonna be a day, an hour, a week? 
Um, there's answers and then there's not answers in that, you know, there's um, everybody's death is as an individual in a way as they are. And yet there are, you know, there are um, commonalities, I guess you could say. So, you know, for instance, as, as people are dying in the last month or so, you know, they run out of energy, they, um, you know, their appetite lowers, their, um, um, their interest in things around them sometimes will, will pull back and fade. An, an active, like the active piece of dying is usually a few days. And that's, you know, sort of like even more of that, you know, they're, they're really not getting up and getting around. They're not, a lot of times they're not interacting with anyone. They've, they've gone inside, they've gone quiet um, inside. Mm -hmm. um, Sometimes you'll see a gaze, you know, more of kind of this looking out um, and beyond. And, and I also tell families um, too, to pay attention to the declines, like maybe it might be not opening your eyes when the doorbell rings, which your loved one always did. Um, and the more you start seeing these declines and the more they get clustered, um, if you're starting to see a decline, you know, every week, then you're kind of looking at that time period and then moving all moving closer and closer, you know, will, will kind of give you an indication that, um, the person's moving closer into the active dying state. Mm -hmm. So you're listening to Embracing the Journey on KBMR. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank, and my guests are Rosie Mariani and Amanda Kenny, end of life caregivers. What are some ways to provide comfort and alleviate discomfort? And what are some signs of discomfort? Um, I think um, signs of discomfort. It you know if you're paying attention, it's there's a certain restlessness. Um, the body, if it's uncomfortable, it will move around. It will, you know, um, facial, you know, keep an eye on your loved one's face. Face, You can see grimaces. You can see, you know, foreheads crinkling. Um, you know, sometimes they'll signal towards you. Um, uh, sometimes also they'll, you know, kind of talk and not really you know, be able to, to, to form clear thoughts and, mm -hmm. and just get a little bit more disoriented. Um, and, and, and also sometimes you, you know, see perspiration, mm -hmm. you know, um, the heating up of, of the body. And, and there's lots of ways to um, help comfort, you know, mm -hmm. besides medications, like I love, you know, what Rosie, we were talking earlier in the, a cool cloth and mm -hmm. um, soft voices low lights. Um, um, sometimes breathing is affected um, towards the end of life. And if you just raise, raise the person up a little bit to, to help with their breathing, um, a lot of times um, you have, um, your loved one won't be eating or drinking, so their mouth will be dry. So there's um, swabs that you can just put moisture in so even if they're maybe not swallowing or drinking, you can make sure that their mouth is, is um, has moisture in it. Well, how do you know when to stop providing food and, and fluid? Isn't it kind of natural as a caregiver to want to keep providing these essentials for life? Uh, I love that you, when I saw this question, I was like, 
ding, ding, ding. I mean, it's <laughs> like, this is such um, a touchy topic because the thing as an observer and doing bedside care that really got me um, kind of having the perspective that that I do now is watching that person that's dying and eating because they want to please the person that's feeding them. And I have witnessed, you know, that happen. And it's, you know, we really just try to encourage families to, to, to speak of, you know, and, and validate why they're doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, food is life. You know, and it's a, it's another sign saying that, you know, their life is is coming to a close, you know, in this physical form. And so it's really difficult. And I really watch the the dying person, you know, if they're not asking for food and they're not reaching for it. You know, I just really try to let the natural course happen, not that I'm not ever going to, you know, offer, you know, and say, hey, have you thought about, you know, you might want to eat something or. I notice a lot that that people, when they get close to the end, they want um, cold things, a, ice cream, you know, a, a pop of some sort, you know, more just kind of sucking things to keep comfort and uh, pleasing, you know, mm -hmm. tastes in their mouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I, as you get towards the end of your life, the swallowing um, becomes more difficult. So, you know, and just your energy is gone. So the act of chewing something you know, and then swallowing be, is a lot. It, it becomes, and, and you can see that. You'll, you'll be able to see that with your, um, with your person that, um, you know, they go from, you know, it, it, it may be a small amount towards the end, but then it just becomes worried they've taken one bite and you can see on their face that it's just too much to try, you know. And with that, you know, there are people who eat right up until they die. My mom had blueberries and yogurt, you know, <laughs> the morning, you know, the day that she died. So, yeah. Well, There's what if our loved one is in pain? Are there medications that can help? And, and what's the difference between a pain medication and anti-anxiety medication? Well, the difference between the medications, like for example, for pain and to help um, ease breathing, um, hospice typically um, uses morphine. And, and I wanna just clarify that. So morphine will help with the breathing? Yes, it actually does um, help. I don't know how to explain why it does. Yeah, and I- I'm sorry. It, it's not a, I think this is another one of the reasons why, you know, you bring hospice in as soon as possible because those nurses have so much more specific information, you know, but yeah, a lot of times when, when the breathing gets difficult, it's the morphine can be given for pain and or for breathing. Yeah. Yeah. And then the anxiety part is a different, you know, it's a different drug. It's, um, I think the barbiturates and typically they use, um, Oh my goodness, I'm losing Lorazepam. And that really helps with the uh, anxiety part. And then there's also, um, the, I'm sorry, the name is escaping me, but they also have in their kind of end of life kit um, something for hallucinations that can possibly happen at the end of life. And, it's, and that drug is very specific to help relieve those hallucinations if they seem um, very distressing for the person or their family. Mm -hmm. 
So in the breathing, uh, when someone is at the final stages of life and they're making that transition, what kind of breathing patterns uh, do you see? And are there signs to look for such as, as I've seen on videos about the mouth makes kind of an O uh, at the end of life uh, and there's the number of breaths per minute. What, what should somebody at the bedside of their loved one be looking for? Um, it's funny, this question, um, it's, I'm not real certain on counting or on, you know, the shape, um, breathing does change. It, it becomes more irregular. There's a lot of, um, stopping and starting, and there's, there's technical names for that starting and stopping at the end of life of breathing, but it's, you can tell it's, it, it goes from a regular, you know, your, your natural breath is a regular breath and towards the end of your life, it becomes irregular. Um, a lot of, um, especially towards the very end, you know, someone will take a deep, deep breath and then that's it. And then there'll be a long space in between and then another breath. Um, and, and that can go on for days. I mean, and I, I think the first couple times that I've been with someone at the end, of, you're, you're like, okay, that's it, that's it. Nope, there's another one. Mm -hmm. And that can go on for days. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of breathing, where you're breathing and then you stop back and forth. One of the things, Lori, that I've, I've said to several um, families in the moment, sometimes when the secretions start to get real wet in the throat, that's when you get what the death rattle and the just more, you know, and reassuring families that this does not hurt. Um, and also, how I like to describe it, um, I had a family member say to me, do something like what, what can we do, you know, mm -hmm. with the breathing. And I just talked to her and reminded her about that, that this is a laboring, you know, and it's not always, you know, like my grandmother who just literally quietly stopped breathing eventually. And, and, and I do think it really helps because this is a labor. This is a process. We're dying and we're birthing out of this physical form. And so I think um, it's important to talk about that and recognize that and um, let people know that that um, it can be hard to walk. Mm -hmm. well, you are listening to Embracing the Journey on KVMR. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank, and my guests are Rosie Mariani and Amanda Kenny, end of life caregivers. In your experience, do people who are very close to the end of life, and, and I like that phrase you use, birthing into um, this next phase, uh, do they have visions or visitations? Do, do they appear to be in conversation sometimes with people who have passed? Um, yeah, I, I some again, it, it's individual different different people and yes um absolutely and you sometimes in those last couple days you can in a moment you can see people if you're watching their eyes they'll be looking somewhere else and sometimes it's a full conversation sometimes it's a smile you know it's a I don't know it's it's just a smile you know they're looking at someone who's looking back at them with love I mean there's it's it's something when you see it, you know it. It's it's a wonderful thing to see. It's, it's someone out there is is helping. 
you know, there's... And that sounds different, Amanda, than the hallucination, hallucinations you were talking about. Right, right. Very different. That's more of an, um, an anxiety, mm-hmm. um, you know, hallucination, whereas this more spiritual kind of visions and, and talking to people. And, and another really cool thing that I love is the memories that pop up. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they can be from, you know, their childhood or, but what's like bubbling up? It's just absolutely um, an honor to, um, you know, to be present in, in that way. And that can happen really visitations and visions and things like that and talking about needing to go somewhere and get ready Mm -hmm. and you know little things like that that Mm -hmm. can really you know go on for you know quite some time Mm -hmm. you know before the act of dying fades. in that final time um do our loved ones do you think that they desire to be with people or to be alone is it good to fill a room with all your family member and friends and pets or do some people, do you think they prefer alone time as they pass? Well, you know, this is very dependent on the individual. And this is why, you know, full circle, we love to get in, um, you know, along with hospice and do end of life plans. So we can talk to the dying person about what they think they're going to want. Mm -hmm. You know, like we think we want everyone around. And like Rosie and I were talking earlier, she's like, when I'm sick, I, you know, you can help serve me and everything, but, you know, stay away. And that was my experience when my mother died. She was, I mean, we were all, you know, all over each other's bodies all the time. And when she was dying, she did not, you know, want me around. So I think it's just, you know, really kind of dependent and that you really will give the person what they, they asked for and knowing that that could change and to just really pay attention and sense the situation. You know, sometimes we put signs on the door that says, you know, vigilant process, meditation and process or something. So if the person does want to go when someone's not there, that they have that time that if if they want to go, um, they can do that without people being around. Well, on the flip side, uh, we're talking about the people who uh, are passing, birthing into that next dimension. What about the family member who has spent days by a loved one's side to be there in their last breath and they just happen to step away for a moment and they, they're not present? How do you counsel them? And it's, it's so common. I mean, that is something we hear, I have heard a, a, a lot is, you know, I was by mom's side the whole night and I never, you know, I had coffee and I was, I had my tea next to me and I, I just, I finally had to use the restroom or whatever. And when I came back, she was gone. And I think, I think that happens on purpose sometimes. I think um, a, a person has a little, a, a, a soul has a choice it, it, and sometimes they want to go when they want to go. I, I've heard the opposite as well. You know, um, you know, she should have been gone five days ago. Hospice said, you know, she was right on the edge. And I, I, but, you know, Joey just was able to get on leave and finally made it home. And, you know, within five minutes after Joey walked in the door, mom passed. I mean, we've, we've heard it both ways. And I think I would, I would counsel people to, to be okay with however that, that happened, because that's how it was supposed to happen. You know, if you walked out the door, 
to take a moment, that's how mom wanted to go. I, I really, I tr believe that with all my heart. Those Absolutely. coincidences. Yeah. Well, we're, we're down to the last few minutes and I have one question to ask before we talk a little bit more about hospice and full circle of living and dying. But what about family dynamics? What about that family member who maybe hasn't been by mom or dad's side or their spouse's side and um, they are holding out for the miracle? Uh, do you ever have problems where, you know, some of the families accepting this and some of the families having a hard, harder time? What do you suggest for that? It's a hard question um, because it, 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 that also happens a lot, I think. Um, it's, it's why some people have such a resistance to hospice um, is because hospice is what you're just giving up. Um, and it is, it's difficult. I think, I think education and pre-planning and talking about all of this ahead of time is so, it is very important because you're not giving up hope. You're create, you're, you're giving hope. The truth is we we all have, we all are going to die. And it's how we're going to die. Are we going to die with a certain amount of acceptance and love and being surrounded by support? Um, and I think that's that's what's helpful for for families with resistance because you, you want you always want to hope for a miracle. You know, nobody wants mom to die right right away. On the other hand, do we want mom to die well with support, without the strife of you know, people fighting in between. Um, yeah, Rosie, I think right there is something that you might want to invite and introduce it to the family is, you know, that, that how can we come together? What can we agree on here? You know, and then when we can talk about, you know, what we can find some ways to agree, then it's a little bit easier to, you know, broach the most important subjects, you know, sometimes, um, you know, where that contrast is, you know, just work on one, you know, and, and it, a lot of times it's just sitting and listening, letting their voice be heard. Um, well, this is such an important conversation that we're having, and it obviously could go on much longer, but we have about a minute left to, to talk about how to reach youth either through hospice, full circle of living and dying or sacred bridges. Uh, let's start with the full circle of living and dying. Um, Amanda, how do, how do people find out about that and sacred bridges? Um, yes, and both full circle of living and dying and sacred bridges are in the resource book that um, is, is given to um, patients from hospice. And full circles website is www.fullcircle livingdyingcollective.com and uh, the phone number is this our Skype number Rosie do you know um, I think so this think is the first one on the website there's a phone number right there and that um, that phone number is 530-270-9839 but the full circle um, website is full of resources as well right and, and, and also go ahead go ahead um, and then hospice as well. Um, I have hospice's phone number 272-5739. Um, so and families, I guess I just, <laughs> go ahead. I would just say families who do want to engage your services, 
could actually end up getting in touch with you either through hospice or full circle of living with dying and that would connect them to sacred bridges eventually oh absolutely and and i can be reached um for end of life care at 916-769-9674 and i would just like to mention real quick um we are not a collect a full circle is now um a full-fledged nonprofit here in our community and um the website um doesn't reflect that we're not a collective anymore <laughs> thank you well i'm Lori burkhart frank and i've been talking with rosie mariani and amanda kenny end-of-life caregivers you can tune in and listen to embracing the journey the fourth tuesday of each month at 6 30 p.m thank you to our engineers ralph henson and Jeff Wright for our theme music and thank you Amanda and Rosie so much for a valuable conversation thank you. thank you thank you for having us Lori